All right, welcome, 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 everyone, to our latest and greatest show that we call Pick Apart, um, uh, patent pending. Uh, this show is a companion piece to last week's production uh, that we aired of The Coward George Ezerote. And what we're going to be doing today is having uh, two of the actors, uh, Stefan Goldbach and Anthony Fuller, having a conversation with the author, Matthew Klein, where they talk about the themes, the tropes, what was going on, what wasn't going on, what the hell was that about. Basically, any questions that any of you had, you get to now ask each other. So... With that said, uh, I, because Josh, our normal sound guy, is not able to uh, join us, and I should have introduced myself, for those that are listening and care, I'm Kelly, and, and I, I, I direct these things, um, but I'm acting as Josh today, so I'm going to step aside uh, and let these fine gentlemen speak uh, their thoughts and uh, feels about George Ezra. So, Mr. Klein, I turn the floor over to you, sir. Why, thank you very much, Mr. Johnston. And let me just say, if there was an acting Josh, you are the prime candidates, and I feel very secure uh, with you in the God role today. Uh, I promise to take good care of you all. Thank you, thank you. Um, and for you, dear listeners, uh, if you're longtime listeners, you know Kelly is also the showrunner and keeps us all in line and did an amazing job casting George Adsworth. And that cast is here with me today. So, Stefan, Anthony, this is a conversation it's free form it's our first time so who the hell knows what it's going to be but there are no wrong answers and no wrong turns so let's jump into it so the coward george has wrote you know we begin uh april's the cruelest month is sort of the mission statement is sort of these quote-unquote untold tales behind some of history's most important events uh george has deals with the assassination of abraham lincoln um, it's set uh, basically for about three or four weeks leading up to um, his assassination, which occurred April 15th of 1865, which is actually the morning he died. He was shot on the 14th and survived about 10 hours afterwards and died at 7 a.m. on the 15th. So uh, what a great way to, you know, for a tax day to come about. Um, <laughs> so one of the things we did is, you know, some episodes this series are a bit more literal with their interpretations. Some of them are a bit more fantastical in how they interpret the events. This one, for, for as much as it's very grounded in reality versus, you know, bring in vampires or bring in, which will happen in an upcoming episode or bring in a, you know, magical realism if, as it were. This one stuck very much as a sort of kind of what if story. So I guess my, my first question to you guys is how much did you know about this historical event, you know, and Anthony, let's we'll kick it off to you. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, by the way. Much appreciated. Um, I knew um, what I think everybody knew about Lincoln in terms of growing up and the history of it all. And uh, I think as I got older, learning who the co-conspirators were, were interesting, but not as interesting as the assassination itself, I never really wanted to know the ins and outs or got an opportunity to know the ins and outs of it. Obviously, this um, story kind of reignited the interest in Lincoln and the co-conspirators. And so I had an opportunity to kind of deep dive into that. And um, 
it was pretty fascinating. I, I mean, we've talked about it, obviously, through and through here, just how the, the parallels between today and um, then how much they intersect. And man, it, it, it's, it's pretty incredible just given the insurrection and <laughs> everything that came along with that. No, it really is. And we're, we're going to get neck deep into that, I'm sure, as we, we go along. And Stefan, what about you? How familiar were you with this, with the, the assassination of Abe Lincoln, just sort of the ins and outs, the players, the events? Right. So for me, I was familiar with the assassination in that it happened. Right. And that it happened at a theater. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln, basically. But that's that's pretty much it. I didn't really know there were co-conspirators. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't know the the historical figure George George Atzerodt. You know, I didn't. I had no idea about about that. So that was really really interesting to um, as a as a German guy or guy who grew up in Germany to get to know this this figure who i mean he didn't have a similar course in coming over here like he came over when he was very very young but um yeah that was that was really really fascinating no see for me i i grew up a very big civil war buff i i remember i was 10 years old and i was reading this 500 page very dry history about the Civil War. And I read it like three, four times. I wore the cover off that thing. I've always loved this time period. Um, and when we were developing the season, John, myself, and, and Kel, we basically made a list of every crazy historical event that's happened in, August, in April that we can think of throughout history. And then it was time, I was like, okay, which ones do you want? And I immediately jumped at, at this one because I love this time period. But what was what's fascinating is then it's it's that question of like where do you find your way in because it's so intimidating to tackle such a large thing and and it was my first time this is the first time i've really worked with real world events in a script usually i've been way too intimidated to do that and it's a very common thing right you look at hamilton you look at um i mean there are movies about this called the conspirator the lincoln biopic you see a lot of those sorts of things that are you know, fictionalized accounts. Um, but there, there, so many of them are through the main character, you know, the story. Like you see a lot of the, the retelling of this through, from Lincoln's eyes. I think there was a, a mate for TV movie about Booth. But what was fascinating is like looking through the characters involved in these conspiracies, George Atzerodt is barely written about. He's almost always forgotten. And in many cases, it's because in... In reality, like in the script, he got drunk at the bar in this hotel and he never had the guts to go through with, with Andrew Johnson's assassination attempt. And I was always fascinated. They, there's no really, there's really no definitive answer as to what happened. And I thought, aha, therein lies the drama, you know, and therein lies, therein lies a way to play with the themes and with the events in such a way to tell a story and get a message across that maybe you wouldn't otherwise. Um, and so the idea of finding your lens character through a historical event, take that concept, but use it through a very random or unspoken or little known figure in, in history mm-hmm. is cool, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that was something that was really fascinating. 
because everything everything about this for George is factually accurate. That it, he he did fix carriages and coops. He did you know come over when he was very young in 1843 from Prussia. He was escaping. Um, his family was escaping you know persecution. Um, that's all there, but but past the basic building blocks on his Wikipedia page, um, there, there really isn't much known about him. And so it was like, ah, that's the ground to cover. That's how we do it. Now, what's fascinating is this was not the, this was a combination of two scripts that I wrote on this. The other one was an episode of ER, basically. It was from the perspective of the doctor who treated Lincoln at Ford's theater. Mm. But your scene, Anthony, was what was in that other version of George Azeroth's that I brought over to combine with George's story and, and really make it happen, which was really fantastic. So, so I'm curious, when you, guys, when you guys got the offer from Kelly about, hey, do you want to be in an audio play about the Lincoln assassination? Like, what were you expecting before you read this script? Stefan, let's, let's start with you. Um, so I've, I like, I like audio plays and I really was, I mean, honored, flattered to, to play a historical figure, mm -hmm. you know, um, that was, that was really like, wow. I mean, I don't, I don't get to do that much, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was, that was really, that was really, really cool. And it was with that basically, basically a no brainer to say, yeah, Sure, I want to. I want to do that, and I'm just open to the. And from there, I, I'm just open to the to the possibility of of what this can become. You know, mm -hmm. I'm like a little again, a little familiar with with what an audio play can be. Sure, but at the same time, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys are probably pretty good and up to up to the newer standards that that this medium allows allows for so i'm i'm just really i would say so yeah I'm josh just, I'm would just really... absolutely insist that we are josh yes. would at this point <laughs> right. step in and right. say yes <laughs> right that's and that's 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 kind of what i what i what i understood about it or or yeah what, what i got from you guys so so i was just excited about about what that what that can be as an as an audio play like like and the the scene the scene between George and Clint then and the other pair right I'm like hmm well, I'm curious how how this is going to work out but yeah sure let's let's <laughs> have fun you know yeah you and me both so so originally I believe in in like the first draft those two scenes were separate they were not one scene and then it was uh, in workshopping it with uh, John Petrie our other you know writer who's responsible for the season and Kel. Kel especially pushed really hard was like do an inner cut it's like you know you you see you see it done in film all the time and these scenes are meant to really parallel each other so so inner cut you know there and I thought well that's challenging that seems impossible sure right. let's try it right you know the beauty of it is I already had a draft if you don't like the next draft you can go back to the previous one you know, I, I'm, I'm not precious in that way with, with rewrites. I, I like the challenge. And it was one of those things where, um, you know, we started it and it was going pretty good. And every draft, Kel just kept pushing me. He's like, no, 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 make it, make it more like they're talking to each other, even though they're not in the same scene. 
you know, and that's, that's where I really thought that playing with this sort of device and this trope that you see done used a lot. It was, it was, it's also really used in like old screwball comedies is what I found. Like you see a lot of like intercut scenes between like the male and female lead with like their best friends, um, you know, going back and forth. And I was like, yeah, we could use that. We could, we could try that and see, but it's just, you know, a historical drama. <laughs> a completely different genre um, and go at it. But then the idea that they were sort of talking to each other without having to be in the same space, but that sense that everybody's talking about the same thing at once, but having very different conversations, which, and that's that last scene really sort of touches on that concept of what we're going on today. And so Anthony, what, when you were, when, before you read the script, what were you expecting out of this? What were you thinking it was going to be like? Um, it's always a good time when Kelly asks you to get involved in, in something, but, uh, I think, you know, I, I've listened to uh, a few podcasts and he kind of gave me the structure of what April is the cruelest month uh, was going to be. But I still, even with that, I still didn't have a, a, a grasp as to what it would look, feel like, mm-hmm. just based on everything, every podcast I've ever listened to, it's pretty straightforward, right? It, there may have... It, I think there's one where it was just kind of a series played out, uh, if you will. So in my mind, I think I saw the structure as uh, you would talk about, like you'd have a conversation about this particular uh, event in history and then intercut it with the scenes. From a structure standpoint, that's what I thought. But I really didn't uh, feel the creative impact of it until we actually started reading it and putting it together. Like that's when it, it became a little bit more um, uh, substantial, for lack of a better word. Just it, just the weight of it was was felt when I realized, okay, this is definitely something that's not only artistic, but um, it's it's pretty heavy. Yeah, um, that's that's a good way of putting it. We were like, I remember the first table read where we recorded the guide track for everybody, and like. John and Kelly and I, you know, had a a chat going just to give each other notes or be like, like, hey, mark this point for future. Like, is this is this clear or not? And Josh is on there, too. And all of us were just kind of like, well, this feels relevant Um, (laughs) in a way that we were we were really not expecting. And it's it's one of those things like I I know I, I, you know, I'm I was excited at the I, I knew that there were parallels between what happened then and a bit of what was happening now. Uh, Cause I wrote this in, I want to say it was October. If we were leading up to the election and everything. Yeah. Uh, I'll jump in just for historical yeah. context. Yeah. We started talking about this as early as the summer. Yes. Um, like, like picking, we, we got around to like picking the, the idea of the new universe in October, but you began uh, floating ideas out even as early as late summer, just sort of idly. And then, um, and then you got the first draft of this in, in just uh, late October, early November. Right. Right. Yeah. And and we went through four drafts, went through four rounds and, and it was, what was fascinating is like every draft 
it got deeper and deeper into the stakes of the real world. You know, it got deeper into what was happening in the zeitgeist and realizing the lessons of the past, you can learn about the present and what we're going through, right? And I was just like, that's super cool and also really nerve wracking. Right. Because, you know, it feels a bit like you're putting yourself out there in some ways, right? Um, so how- Did you feel like, oh, sorry. No, no, hit me, hit me, go for it. No, I was gonna ask, um, with the addition of, you know, chopping up that second scene with Clint and, and uh, George Parker and John, like once you had your draft or second draft in place and it was time to do that, did you feel like it was easier with the foundation in place to, to piece all of that together? Was it harder? Um, it actually, you know, once, once I tried it, it got easier from there. It's yeah. one of those things that once, once I could figure out sort of, once I could start to get the rhythm, it was from a structural standpoint, it was actually very fun and very interesting to do. And then it was just a matter of like each draft, I would tighten it and I would change the dialogue a little bit more for what George was going through in that scene. And I would change the dialogue a little bit more for the point of view of, of Clint, I'm sorry, of Booth and Parker. And then it really became just making sure that even though you're, you're on the same topic, you have to curtail it so that these are two very different places that these characters are in. You know, and uh, and go from there just to clarify the arcs, because at first, George was very passive. He was a little bit more historically what he might have been, which was he just kind of he went along for the ride and, and the other three sort of kind of bullied him into into doing these things. And then I came up with the idea of, well, what if he's the one that pushed for the escalation from kidnapping to killing and was just very much more practical minded. So and just to to give him that full arc there. Um, but also that kind of commentary on sort of, you know, fanaticism, the appeal of it, the appeal of, of you know, what these hate groups have, you know, the, the fears they prey on, you know, the type of populations that they go to, um, how it can happen. And then hopefully, you know, when you're dealt with the choice, you find your way out of it. And in some cases, you go deeper into it. Booth be being one example and George being the, the total other one for that. But yeah, once, once the structure, once the structure for that scene was there, writing it was a, was a blast. Um, and I, I think it, it came out brilliantly from what Josh is doing to it, but, but it was the, it was try, it was giving myself permission to try it and fail. That was hard. You know, that's, that's really where it came down to. But, but for that last scene, like, Stefan, how did you see sort of George's arc through that? Was, was there anything that you felt particularly kind of relevant to what you're seeing around the world today for the script? Like what hit you and, and hit George in particular for, for how you were? I mean, just in terms of the last scene, um, I'm just like for, for me playing George, um, just really really nice actually that there is that layer where he changes his his opinion mm -hmm. due to the conversation with clint at least that's like what i what i got out of it or what mm. what this what this ended up being let's say that you know yeah. um so that was that was really really that was really really cool and and just um yeah just up the 
upped the arc, I would say, um, sure. quite quite a bit, right? Like from, okay, yeah, I don't know, should we do it? Um, John, you have been letting us down to, all right, let's kill them all, you know? And mm -hmm. then and then going like, well, yeah, I want to kill the vice president, but well, let's see, to, oh, this person, Clint, actually sees me Mm -hmm. And that allows me to see him. And oh, there's more to there's much more to this. There's much more to this. And I'm I'm like completely overwhelmed. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, that's that's the really cool thing about it. And that's that's one of the things I really wanted to explore was like once you get out of the echo chamber of your of the opinion and how it's reinforced, how can you, you know, what does it take to reach somebody and have a real conversation about it. And that's, mm. you know, I think for me personally, you know, in the last year, especially, it feels like there's so many echo chambers out there and there's so many people picking and choosing their information and they're picking and choosing who they decide to listen to. And what's beautiful for me about George and Clint is they're two people from completely different backgrounds who still manage to, as you say, Stefan, beautifully see each other. Right. And, and to have that discourse and to go, oh, there's a whole it's a whole other perspective I'm not thinking of. And it's not threatening to me. It's not scary. It's it's just enabling me to see more than what I'm seeing now. Right. And that's at least that was the goal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it worked. At the end of the day, the audience will decide, you know, how well or it did or didn't work. What about for what about for you, Anthony, in terms of. Clint, because he's, he's only in that one scene, but it's such a pivotal role. What really appealed to you in terms of that scene and, and Clint's role in that and Clint's role in the story that you were like, oh, I get this. I, I, I see how to play this. Well, it, I think um, it, like we kind of touched on before we started, started this, uh, it's so layered, like that relationship between George and Clint on so many levels, right? Like, and, and to include those, the, the tropes and you have the bartender offering sage advice to right. the, the main character, which I thought was, was pretty genius. But on top of that, from an optics perspective, the fact that I'm a part of that, um, an African-American talking to um, someone of German descent and, and they're talking about the differences uh, and you, you get an opportunity on that level if it transcend transcend it transcends that right like it, it just becomes this thing where you can't hate somebody in person you can't hate somebody face to face so um i definitely appreciated that aspect of it oh right on no and and you guys just found such a cool rapport just like during those table reads and, and getting into it and even when we did the kickstarter read again um uh a couple of weeks ago I, I i looked at josh and kel and i was like crap can we can we just use some of that too for recording <laughs> i think josh actually did take a couple of clips um yeah josh josh actually assured us that he was going to actually lift some of the clips from that read because you guys did such a stellar job so um so it was really cool to, to see how you guys kept just finding those layers like every time i heard you read it you found more and more to that scene and more and more to these characters which was cool but you're right no it is it is also on top of the whole split screen trope you have the bartender give sage advice 
to, to somebody who's at a decision point. And that's done in comedies. That's done in Westerns. That's done in dramas. That's done in um, romance movies. That's done in murder mysteries. Like it's, it prevails everything. And, and here we put it into historical fiction. Yeah. Uh, um, and it's absolutely, and again, what's so cool is like this event, that's all plausible. Like even Booth and Parker, they were in that bar at the same time during that. Like there's no documentation that a conversation did or did not happen, but you can't actually argue hundred percent that they didn't cross paths. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's all right there. That's the, the other, like history was waiting for us to do this. They were, they set it up for us beautifully for a dramatic structure. Um, well, that's what's so great about what you did with it is that you, like you said, I mean, you had that, that foundation of that structure of this historical event, you were able to just creatively add these elements right. to, to ratchet up that tension and, and the stakes and everything involved. It was great. Well, what's cool is like to, to your guys point earlier, it's like a lot of people know about Lincoln's, you know, Lincoln died, but not as many people realized there were three targets. You know, it's, mm. it's that feeling there was, there was secretary of war, there was the vice president and there was president Lincoln. Had they killed all three, had they successfully done it, what would the country have been like the next day? Who the hell knows? Right. Um, if Andrew Johnson wasn't president during Reconstruction, what would have happened? It's, it, there truly is so much history and there's so many stakes in this story that the ramifications are never fully considered because everybody focuses on the headline of Booth and Lincoln. They don't think about Lewis and David and Mary Surratt and, uh, and George and what they could have accomplished. Um, I don't know that they were, I don't think that it would have won the war for you know, the Southern states, but it certainly would have made post-war very, very different um, for this country potentially. And had George not gotten cold feet for whatever reasons and gone through with it, who knows? Because he was literally staying directly below him in that hotel. He had gotten right below him. All he had to do was go upstairs, knock on the door, because these guys didn't have great security back then. He could have just knocked on the door and shot him. Right. And that would have right. been the end of it. Right. Um, well, so. the fact that he, you know, in, in doing the research and looking at this, I think for me the, with those parallels, um, this is a guy who ultimately didn't do what he, he set out to do, right? He, he, he got drunk, wandered the streets, stayed in another hotel, what have you. But, you know, even then, I guess what I'm getting at is everybody at that time, they, they didn't agree with each other, right? And, right? and for whatever reason, they had disagreements. And um, when Lincoln was assassinated, it felt like they were able to put those disagreements aside and do what was right, which was find the people who did this and uh, convict them, so so to speak. And it was just that theme of accountability. And I, I just don't think we have that anymore or at, at this point in time. It's just, it's forget right and wrong, <laughs> forget accountability. Uh, whatever I believe in, if this person, whether they're sincere, sinister, if they believe me, cool, they're on my team. Let's forget everything else. And there's something uh, very black and white about that I liked uh, back in the day. Yeah. 
No, and it's mm. what's fascinating to me too is that this is this is very much an, an immigrant story, you know, in a lot of ways. Like this is because you know George didn't have it easy back then. He he wasn't from that country. He they were very anti-immigrant in a lot of places in the U.S. at that point in time. He was always an outsider. He was always going to be someone that was, you know, seen as less than or other than. And, and so to get caught up with a group of people that were willing to accept him, you know, as, as Booth and David and Lewis did, um, I'm sure it was super appealing. And again, that's, it's that sort of, that story of, of becoming a fanatic, of finding a place to belong, of, of finding people to belong to when you don't feel like you really belong anywhere. And so you go to that, you, you go, you're drawn to that acceptance, right? And it's just oh. like, and, and then what do you do to keep that acceptance? What do you, what are you willing to compromise of yourself? What views are you willing to adopt to hold on to that safety, that sense of belonging, that sense of purpose? Um, and, and George gets put to the test as does Booth in that case too. Um, and, and one has a very different reaction than the other, which is what makes it all there. But it's something that we all go through. We go through it growing up in, when you go through cliques in high school or college or middle school, you go through it when you're at a job, you go through it when you're on set, you go through it, you know, you always look for places to belong to, you look for people to be accepted by, you look for people to connect with. Um, and, and, you know, and certainly political partisanship is, is another way we do it with sports teams all the time. You know, if you move to a new city, do you automatically become a fan of that team's, you know, of that city's sports teams? Or do you stick with the one you grew up with? Oh, uh, you um, stick with the one you grew up with. But I, know, I know people who will move and be like, oh, well, I'm a Buffalo Bills fan, but now I'm also, you know, an L.A. Rams fan. And I'm like, screw you. That's not, you can't, you don't have no. to. That is the sport you call football, right? Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be the sport we call football. Yes. Yeah. For the record, uh, I, am, I am a Mets fan solely because when I moved to New York, my wife, living in Queens insisted that we had to root for the home team because the Mets are based in Queens. That said, growing up in North Carolina, the only baseball team that I had any allegiance to were the Durham Bulls, a minor league team. So I don't think I'm betraying anything by, by put rooting for the Mets because they're never <laughs> going to play against uh, the Bulls at any given time. Oh, I mean, if you were a Tar Heels fan and then all of a sudden you were rooting for the Scarlet Knights. Okay. Uh, like this then this requires on-screen presence. <laughs> I am a Tar Heel born and bred. I will never not be. Yeah. That would never have, like, you're damn right. You do not yeah. turn oh, your back. I, absolutely. I just want to make sure. I get and, it. North Carolina is no pro team. I get it. You're allowed. And and listen, and while while it is while it is fun, I will say, and then jump back out to Matthew's point, it, it's, it, is, it is terrifying how seriously people take something like like in North Carolina, because we didn't have pro teams growing up, you had UNC, NC State, Wake Forest, and Duke all within like a, a – and people draw battle lines, and I mean get in real fights, not like play fights, like real fights over these teams. Oh, yeah. That's how crazy it gets in a hurry. So I think there is really a lot to what Matthew's saying about how there is this you find your group, and then part of what makes that group exist is its definition 
in opposition to other groups. Absolutely. Uh-huh. So. Absolutely. And, and, you know, for, for the United States and in the 1860s, it was very easy to find a line. Slavery became a very easy line, no pun intended, but a very black and white border. Um, actually, pun intended, correct me if I'm wrong. But it was, it was a very black and white border of where you stood. What team are you on? What do you stand for? Who's in your group? Who's not in your group? And yes, there were states' rights, economics between two different cultures. Sure, you can add that to the mix. But as far as the world was concerned, as far as perception, as far as, quite frankly, most people, it was one issue that you clearly separated what side you were on. Um, and people look for that today in politics. They look for that today. You know, there's, it's a very, I'm on, I'm on this team with this guy. I'm on this team with this person. It's a very clear line. And what's fascinating is when you look at people's opinions about certain, you know, specifics of policies or bills or what have you, people agree with the other side but they will never admit to agreeing with the other side. They'll just admit to agreeing with this little thing, but they don't equate it with, with the team they're not on, so to speak. And that's the beauty of Clint and George. When, as you say, when you're face to face with someone and you're just having the conversation and you're not drawing lines that you're on that side and I'm on that side, suddenly you can connect and you can see the humanity in each other. And you can see that everybody's a full person. And you can find a way to to bond in that way and feel and feel included that way. And that's that's a beautiful thing. And it's it feels harder than ever sometimes. But that's that's hopefully one of the things you take from art that you can take from from the creative process, too. It's like it's a safe space to listen to each other and it's a safe space to to reach out to each other. And so hopefully we, we did that here on on some level uh, with this piece. Um, so with all that, so uh, actually, sorry, yeah. Matthew, if I can jump in just Please. speaking now, actually as the director of the piece, yes, um, sir. I think that though, that that's, that is the most striking thing about George Ezra is that you, you didn't intend to, because at the time you wrote it, you could not have known what was going to happen in November. Right. I no. mean, I mean, like, and, January. and in January, I'm sorry, I was uh, like, yeah. not, not just the election, but obviously yeah. in January. But part of how January happens, I am convinced, is that they, that people stop seeing other people as people. Mm-hmm. And, and that is how war gets fought. And what I think is really stellar about this interchanged conversation is the complexity with which you have a war veteran talking to someone who did not enlist and saying, I, I had to kill people firsthand. And even though he, he makes more saying from a distance, because I am actually a civil war buff. One of the things about the civil war, it's the last time in, in uh, America's history where there was really hand to hand fighting. Yes. And so if you were out there on the field killing somebody, sometimes you shot them from a distance, but more times than not, you had to kill them close up and keep going. And so he this here's somebody that has seen bad things up up close and personal and then is saying to somebody that is this idealist that that is that is kind of leaning into the radical here's a different perspective 
And because that, that person that's leaning toward the radical feels listened to and heard, they can change. And then the ultimate irony is on the other side because mm-hmm. Parker is sort of dismissive and almost dehumanizing of his opinion of Lincoln, et cetera. It galvanizes Booth. Mm. And the reason I was really startled by that is because I don't think that the majority of people that were at in our capital on the 6th of January illegally, I don't think that they're evil. I think that they got wound up. I think that they, I, I'm not going to, I'm going to stop there because I don't want to turn this into something else, but they got wound up and then they got let go. And that's what happens. They didn't see the people inside the building as other humans. They saw it as a thing to conquer. And so I, I thought in both the writing, but also gentlemen in the performance, you guys did a, a masterful job of, of really nailing the idea of being seen and the effect it can have. And then by virtue of the writing, the ripple effect on history that a moment like that can have. So basically I just clicked on to say, you guys rock. That's it. All right. I'm out. <laughs> well, well, thank you. Um, I think for, for me, you know, what did you guys sort of, when you were, you know, when you finished recording your lines and after, after you will, you will hopefully listen to the, the final product, like how, you know, how did this sort of script sort of stay with you or not stay with you afterwards? Like what was, what was it about the script that, you know, you'll, you, in this experience working with these characters that, that might stay with you a bit, what did you take from it? I mean, I think it, it keeps, it really does keep circling back, you know, and you drew and we as collaborators drew then with you um, all these parallels to what we see right now. And as that is continuing, Mm -hmm. right. Also like at least my process with George and, all of you is is also continuing in that you know mm-hmm. it just keeps circling back um sometimes a little bit more tangential and sometimes a little bit more oh yeah wow like um that that one line that that um when when clint says to to george i fought i fought for you so that you as a guy who came here from a different place can be free here you know that is just such a yeah um which i wish i wish that we all just could read that or listen listen to that you know yeah or be with be with that just a moment you know that's yeah so it keeps coming back i mean it keeps coming back when when now um, Atlanta happens when now um, the voting rights decision happens yesterday, I think, right? Um, and I think it will keep coming back. You know, I think, I think, as as you said, uh, Anthony, I think this country is a, is will have to do. Will have there's work to do, a lot of work, you know, and it's it's not clear where where this all is going. And yeah, yeah. For me, I think um, there are 
two things that are important to me just in life um, and uh, communication and perspective. And what I like about the way you not necessarily ended the, the play uh, because the ending is rough, obviously, because the aftermath is there. But during that time, the, the takeaway from me, the majority of it is all about communication and perspective. Like it's all about seeing that other side. And I mean, that, and I, that's the theme, right? It's just seeing that other side and thinking another way. And uh, that's my goal in life. Like that's just how I want to get through life. I want to have conversations with people and make sure I understand them and they understand me. Because if you don't have that, then what the hell do you have, you know? Um, so, yeah, for me, it was, it was just that communication that George and Clint had and, and the perspective that was gained as a result of it. And like we've talked about throughout this conversation, it's like George finally saw that someone saw him. Um, whether this is a creative interpretation or not, it's what you take away from it. And I think that that's very important. Well, gentlemen, I, I think uh, it's been wonderful communicating with both of you all today. Um, I thank you so much for, for coming a part of Pick Apart and dissecting uh, <laughs> this scene with us and, and these characters, this incredible piece. And um, it's been great getting to know your perspectives uh, today as well. Communication and perspective. I think those are two key ingredients to a rich, fulfilling life and a wonderful building blocks for a sense of community. Absolutely. Um, which, which is more important now than maybe ever before in history. So even, even at this time in 1865. <laughs> well, uh, I'll call you both for the sequel. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be a downer. <laughs> when, when we follow the manhunt for George Azeroth, um, <laughs> and it turns out that it's Clint who's got to be the one to bring him in. <laughs> and then, you know, I, I think there's so that, much. Now you have to write it. I, now you have to write it. Well, you know, I've, technically, we're still contracted for a bonus episode. I'm, I'm saying, like, I'm saying we make a trilogy. He chases him down, and then like Clint's the one that like leads him to the gala. <laughs> in the third one. Nice, nice. Paul and George Azaros. That's uh, hang in there, George. Hang in there. Hang in there. <laughs> the George Azaros trilogy. You heard it here first. Ooh. Uh, nice. Well, gentlemen, uh, to echo Mr. Klein, thank you all. Thank you for coming, Mr. Klein. You as well. It it was. It was utterly fascinating to listen to and occasionally jump in and talk during. Um, thank you, guys. Thank, thank you. you for Thanks for having us. us. Yeah. yeah, for sure. And thank you all, dear listeners, for uh, being a part of this conversation for our very first Pick Apart. Stay tuned. We have a lot more, a lot more content coming your way. New episodes of Heidi and Nora Don't Know Things, The Comics Corner, uh, our next episode of April's The Cruelest Month, Survivors. <laughs> survivors yeah uh, which you will be hearing in just a couple of weeks in the first friday of may uh which is uh an absolutely incredible tale about uh two gentlemen during the aids crisis in the 80s that is an absolute must listen uh i yeah. could not get through the table read without tearing up and i can't wait uh to be literally a puddle of mess uh upon hearing it it is 
Johnny. Uh, I assure you, having having been at the recording session, uh, be, be ready to be a puddle of mess because they, they, they're they're dynamite. They're they're al- almost as good as these guys. Oh, <laughs> I said it. I said it. Nice. Darn right. There you go. Way to play favorite. Cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> and keep it in. Um, but all of you, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you're not a member of our Patreon, go in and subscribe. You'll hear tons of extra footage. You'll get episodes early. It's just a couple bucks a month. All the support you give goes back to uh, these incredible uh, content that we're bringing for you. Um, you can follow us on at the cruelest month across Facebook, Twitter, uh, and Instagram. We post uh, multiple times a week with updates. Um, and then, oh no, Kelly, I just keep wanting to do the old, uh, old exit. Uh, line. Yeah, I know you, we, we have to do a whole new one now. Have we covered a new one or, well, first let's go, Anthony, Stefan, tell folks where they can find you on social media and follow yes, all please. In your new projects. So Anthony, let's start with you. Uh, I have an IG account under Anthony Leroy Fuller. Or Lyman Zerga is the yes, it is uh, tag. I'm a subscriber, and also on Twitter, I'm at Lyman Zerga. So feel free. Brilliant! Brilliant. <laughs> I'm gonna go follow you right now. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great <laughs> reference. It, it's man. a great reference. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, How about you, Stefan? Yeah, I'm at. Stefan Goldbach on Instagram and Twitter, a little bit more active on Instagram than on Twitter. But if you tweet at me, I will likely tweet back. Um, (laughs) And uh, Facebook as Stefan.Goldbach. Yeah, all the the platforms. Uh, You can find me on at MatthewKlein316 because I am the bottom line over on Twitter. Uh, at Mac the Knife eleven sixteen over on Instagram uh, for all the happenings on comic books, pro wrestling, and historical fiction. Uh, I will I will take all your hate all day long. I love it. Um, oh, I get it. I get it. It's great. Um, thank you guys again. This has been Pick Apart. Keep listening, and for goodness' sakes, don't be cruel. Thanks for listening to the first part of our Pick Apart series. You can find us on all social media at the Cruelest Month Podcast. To support us, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>